0: Oh, good morning, Parkview. so good to be with you this morning, be able to worship with you here at Central. My name is Doug, and I am the uh, pastor over at East Campus, so um, I've been over there quite a bit lately. So if you don't know me, here I am. Um, So, you know, in life, throughout the many sort of varied human relationships and contexts that I have found myself in, It is very very common for me, either consciously or subconsciously, to sort of, when I am interacting with somebody else, to sort of just wonder, where do I stand with this person? To try and figure out, am I accepted? Am I liked? Am I welcomed by then? And my, my guess is, if you're just a normal person, you can probably relate on some level to that feeling. Where do I stand? Here, you know, whether it's in your neighborhood, maybe in your workplace, family gatherings, maybe you're spending some time with the in-laws as you, shortly after you get married, you're wondering, where do I stand with these people? Do they love me or do they just have to love me? Where do I stand with them? Whether you find yourself in a social setting like a party or a banquet, maybe at church, maybe some of you walked through these doors this morning wondering exactly that question. Do I matter to these people? Some of you maybe give it too much thought. Perhaps there's some of you here this morning that could give it a little more thought. Where do I stand? Well, the last couple of weeks have been, they've been really hard for my family, for myself. Um, as we have decided to move to St. Cloud, Minnesota, we've spent a lot of time communicating that with folks and connecting with people who are dear to us. Um, lots more that we're gonna connect with. Um, we've. Last couple weeks have been filled with goodbyes. It's been hard, as you can imagine. But in the midst of that, we have also found ourselves being really, honestly, just totally blown away by the amazing outpouring of love and affection. One of the reasons why it's going to be so hard for us to leave Iowa City, for, so hard for us to leave Parkview, is because we feel so loved. Many of you have taken the time to make sure that we know precisely where we stand with you in the last couple of weeks, and it has meant the world to us. Now, I'm thinking through sort of my final message here at Central Campus before we head up north, which is what we're getting ready to do. I thought it'd only be appropriate to take a few minutes on the onset to just make sure it's clear where you all stand with us with me. I want you to know with total confidence and with complete clarity exactly how I feel about you and about this church. Simply put, I love you. Parkview, you are so dear. You're you're dear to my heart. You're dear to Natalie's heart, to our family's heart. You are so, so dear to us. I just think in this past week about some of the things that make Parkview so special to me, so close to my heart. It was, it was men from Parkview who initially pursued me. I came to college in 2000 as a freshman at the University of Iowa. And while I grew up in the church, I had zero intention of going to college and getting plugged into a church. But God had different plans. He placed men in my life, in my path, who were relentless in their pursuit of me. I didn't have a choice. I was going to Parkview, all right? And, and when I came, you know what? I was welcomed. I was welcomed by this church. I was welcomed by you. I was discipled in this church, whether it was as a college student or on staff. I can think of one person after another who showed interest in me in this church. The same could be said for my wife. We learned Christ from you all, men and women alike, directly and indirectly, taught us how to follow Jesus and how to love people. We were discipled at Parkview. At Parkview, I began to understand God's heart for the nations, his heart for the marginalized, for the hurting, for the oppressed in our world. It was in this church that God gave me a bigger vision of what he was doing throughout the world. It was at Parkview that I was given one opportunity after another to embrace the calling that I sensed God had on my life. It was here where I learned how to preach. It was here where I learned how to serve. It was at Parkview where I learned how to lead. And you all were patient. You were trusting. You were gracious. Is that part for you that we raised our kids? And so many of you were instrumental in teaching them Jesus, whether it was through Sunday school classes or Awana or preschool or PSM. You cared for our family and our children. We prayed for them, and He taught them. I'm so thankful for that. So thankful for that. Mike told me I couldn't cry. Mike, I'm sorry. I'm letting you down. Forgive me. All right, I think that's it. Um, At Parkview, it's probably not it, but whatever. (laughs) It was at Parkview that when our family faced some of the darkest, hardest moments, you as a church, as a people, just wrapped your arms around us and cared for us and loved us right through it. You were there for us. It was at this church at Parkview that I was able to be a part of movements and ministries that apart from God would be totally unexplainable. Totally unexplainable. Whether it's through 24-7 or The Spot, Faith Academy, East Campus, I've been able to see God flex his muscles around this community through this church. And it has been a total blast an amazing adventure. The list could go on and on, could name one person after another that we are thankful for, that we hold dear in our hearts. Bottom line is, Parkview Church, we love you. We love you dearly. I I want you to know how grateful I am to God for each of you and for the the special season of life and ministry that I've been able to share with you. Natalie and I love you deeply and for the years to come please know that you will not only hold a special place in our memories but you will remain especially dear in our hearts that's not changing okay so let's get it straight that's where you stand now on to the message well final message Mark gave me thank you Mark just the freedom to pick something and have at it so thank you for your trust and the opportunity um, man, I wrestled with this for a, for a while. Okay, I settled just on one simple verse. And it's a verse that for me has been especially helpful in the last couple of um, months. One verse that I want to sort of just reflect on with you this morning. And it comes from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse verse 16. I'll read it. You can open your Bibles if you have. We'll kind of look a little bit at verses 6 through 16 along the way, but I think it's on the screen here. Yeah. Verse 16. Let me read it for us, and then I'm going to pray, and then we'll just spend a few minutes reflecting on God's goodness to us through His Word. Here's what God's Word says. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. One more time. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you just uh, for the opportunity that we have as your people to just sit here together um, to worship you, to proclaim who you are, to reflect on your goodness to us and to respond in song. Lord, we thank you for the chance that we get right now to just open up your word um, and to be encouraged by it, to be challenged by it, to be comforted by it, Lord. Lord we're so thankful for your word. are so thankful for your word. We're thankful that it is eternal and that it is true. Lord, you've given it to us so that we can learn more about who you are in this world that you've placed us in, Lord. We thank you for it. We ask right now, just as we consider your word together, Lord, would you guide us in your truth? Take this word, Lord, write it on our hearts. Use it to shape and to form us into the people that you have called us to be. We ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Big idea. For this text this morning, the big thing I've been reflecting on is I've maybe this message will be a little more like a meditation or a reflection. It'd be a little unusual in that sense for the way I normally preach. But as I've been considering this text, kind of summarize maybe a final charge to Parkview. I want to say it like this: Let the reality of the gospel make a real difference for how you live, so that you can really impact the world around you. Let me say it one more time. Let the reality of the gospel make a real difference in how you live so you can really make an impact on the world around you. And in this one simple verse, you could probably break it up into sort of two sections. There are commands at the beginning of the church, or beginning of the verse, and at the End of the verse, there is a promise. So let's just consider them together in order. First, what are the commands, the the charges? It's it's, it's important to remember that in this section, Paul is instructing a younger pastor, Timothy, on how to be a good servant of Jesus Christ, of Christ Jesus. You'll, You'll see just above the section, if you have the ESV, the editors have given this section that title, a good servant of Jesus Christ. Now, while this letter was directed to Timothy, the pastor at the church of Ephesus, there are so, there's so much, there's so much that can and should apply to every single one of us, even if we have not been called to hold the office of a pastor. It more broadly can apply to anyone who identifies as a Christian, those whose identity is found in Christ. What are the charges? What are the commands that we see here? Well, there's three of them. Keep a close watch on yourself, keep a close watch on your teaching, and persist in this. First, watch yourself. Watch yourself. Watch how you live, referring to the entirety of your life. You can see if your eyes float up just a couple of verses to 11, verse 11 and 12, that Paul identifies several areas of life that are specifically, he points out, to be watched. Look at verse 11, if you can float up there. It says, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example, in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Set an example. This is Timothy, be a role model. As others are trying to figure out what it means to walk with Jesus, tell them that they can simply watch your life and how you walk with Jesus, and they'll have an idea of what it means to be a Christian. Set for them an example. They should be able to follow you as you follow Christ. As it relates to speech, he goes on. Whether it's in public or in private, Timothy's speech was to be consistent with his faith. We've talked a lot about this in the book of James just recently. He he was to speak the truth in love. His speech was always to be gracious and seasoned with salt. Watch how you talk. He goes on. Conduct. Watch your conduct. Behavior. This is sort of a broader category. Speaks to the, the way sort of you handle yourself, whether it's in private or in public. Watch your conduct. Set them an example in the way you conduct yourselves. And in love, the act of selfless giving in relationships. Allow your love, the love that you've received from God, to be visibly seen in how you love others. Set an example in your faith. Active belief in God. The the justified man or woman must walk by faith, trusting the word of God one step after another. And in purity, he calls them to a lifestyle that's marked essentially by holiness. For those who are in Christ, we know you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. Set apart unto God, special to him. And you are called to live lives of holiness, dedicated to God as a result. setting an example for the believers in purity. Now, this word in verse 16, life, this idea, keeping a close watch on yourself, on your life, it's like you could sort of click on that in your Bible, and it would be a hyperlink that would take you to every aspect of your life, whether it is your marriage, your family, your career, your studies, what you watch on TV, what you listen to, what you read, how you deal with your money, how you relate to your neighbors, or your colleagues, or your children. Or your parents. Keep a close watch on yourself, every aspect of your life. That's the first command. Keep a close watch on yourself. Second, and on your teaching. Now, this word teaching shows up sort of three different times in verses six, again in verse 13, and then here in verse 16. In verse 6, it's translated doctrine. If you look at verse 6, it says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Then again in verse 13, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. And then here in verse 16, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. You are to keep a close watch on your life and on the message that shapes and forms your life we are called to fill our life with the truth the good sound right doctrine the the right true teaching we are to hold fast to it keep it fill our mind with it actively share it in this section it's clear that the Timothy is both on the receiving end of this teaching and this doctrine but he's also on the giving end of it he's also talking about how he's supposed to teach others this is a gift a unique gift that he has And the one who keeps a close watch over the teaching demonstrates resolve to be obedient to 2 Peter 3.18 where we are commanded to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The first two commands are pretty simple. Let the reality, let the truth of the gospel shape the way you live those two things must be consistent. The message you believe, that you learn, that you study, that you've received, and the life that you live. Be the type of people who walk in gospel integrity. Living lives that are shaped by and reflect the beauty and the truth of the gospel of Jesus. The sacrificial love of Jesus should, be, should result in our own self-giving love for those in our life. The welcome that we receive from Jesus, you see how this works? Should be responded by welcoming others, sharing the welcome of Christ with those around us. The forgiveness that floods into our life should not dead end in our life, but rather it should flow through us and to be extended to those around us. The grace, the kindness, the compassion we receive from Jesus should flow right through us, should shape us to be people who are formed in His image. Those are the first two commands. The second one is a lot like it. Persist, or third one, persist in this. Keep a close watch over yourself and the teaching. Commands one and two. Number three, persist in this. One of the things I I love about this verse is that it reminds me when I read it that I am not a finished product. And neither are you. We have not arrived. Never think for a second that your days of personal vigilance are over or that your doctrinal growth is a thing of the past. There are few things in this world that are more dangerous for our soul and completely not needed in our world than coming to a place where we think we have arrived either in our morality or in our theology. The arrogance and pride of that person, the person who thinks that they have arrived, can do great damage. Unfortunately, just a sort of casual glance at your newsfeed will quickly reveal one spiritual leader after another who's fallen in sin, disqualified from ministry, and it begins oftentimes with spiritual pride. There's a quick progression. Step one, I got it together. I've got it figured out. I have a corner on the truth. Step number two, therefore no need to persist in watching my life or my doctrine. Step number three, train wreck. Now think about how spectacular God's design is in all this. That was a quick journey, wasn't it? (laughs) Think about how spectacular God's design is in all of this. Think about how amazing this invitation is. One of the defining features of being a disciple of Jesus is that we get to spend our journey through this life learning Jesus. Which means there is always more of Jesus for you and me to discover. Every single day, one discovery after another you come to church on a sunday morning you should come with an expectation to discover our savior afresh or if you're in a community group on a monday night with you should you should go to that setting with an expectation to discover something new about who jesus is as you open up your bible and you learn from brothers and sisters that god has placed in your life and you you learn from their discoveries of jesus he has us on a journey of Constant adventure and discovery in who Jesus is. Ephesians 3 8 and 9, as Paul describes his calling, he says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what was the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is what he invites us, you and me, into. A lifelong journey of Jesus' discovery. Growing in our understanding of, of the mystery that was hidden in ages in God. Now, here's the deal. I don't know about you. I love discovering new things. I love discovering new donuts. Do you like that? I love discovering new music, new movies, new shows. I love discovery because it's fun. It's new. See, here's the deal. The journey that Jesus has placed us on, it confronts the whole hum boredom in life that many of you are experiencing right now. It is just not possible to be a... Bo- it is antithetical to being a Christian, being bored, because Jesus himself has unsearchable riches around every corner waiting for you and me to discover afresh every single day. He's forming Christ in you and in me. And his command here in 1 Timothy 4.16 is to persist, to continue, to not give up. Don't think you've arrived. There is more of Christ for you and me to discover and to enjoy. Now, over the years, one of the challenges, if you've lived in Iowa City for, I don't know, one year, you've probably experienced (laughs) this. People just come and go. Now... I feel like I'm on the other side of that equation for the first time. And it's sad. I'm so sorry. I'm leaving. And, uh, you know, if you come and go, if you've been around long, when people come back, I don't know, I might, you know, just had the experience the last couple of um, weeks of reconnecting with old college friends that I haven't seen for years. And if you've been in a similar setting, you know, been with somebody you haven't seen for a long time, there's always this, especially maybe around my age, the sort of like sizing up that happens, like what has changed about you, you know? And usually I can see their their eyes kind of floating around my hair, you know? It's like, yes, it's grayer, okay, let's move along, you know? But uh, you, you can see how you just change, and there's something kind of fun about that, but what's been really in- enjoyable for me as I've been reconnecting with uh, these two friends specifically is that I've been able to see how they have persisted in this. How they are different. They have grown in Jesus. It's amazing to see the growth in Christ in them. It's been a blast. Jesus is forming himself in you. Persist in this. Keep watch over your life. Keep watch over your teaching, over the doctrine. Don't. Give up Now Those are the charges If you keep going In the verse You see that there is A promise The two of them Baked in there For by so doing You will save Both yourself And your hearers For by so doing You will save If you Follow My command. If you are vigilant in watching your life and your doctrine, the teaching you sit under, the teaching that you give, if you do these things, here's the guarantee. Here's the promise. It is remarkable. You will save yourself and your hearers. What's at stake? Brothers and sisters, salvation. Namely, yours and everybody else's. This is no small thing. If you remain, if you persist, if you keep watch over your life and how you teach, the doctrine you sit under, ensuring that the truth you believe is also the truth that you live, that the good, right, true, beautiful, sound doctrine is making its way out into your life, that it is visible. What you believe, what we've just got done talking about in James, that if what you believe is just obvious for those who come into contact with you, here's what's at stake. Your salvation and your hearers. Now, let's be clear. This is not, as it may seem, a contradiction to the gospel. This statement is not inconsistent with the reality that our salvation is all of grace. Okay? That we've been saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for By grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Well, so this statement is not inconsistent with Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's not a contradiction to it. But rather, it's a confirmation of what comes next in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, which says this. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God, be clear of it, is the only one who can offer salvation. But in His divine providence and plan, through His great grace, He has not only brought us to Himself, but He then uses you and me to bring others to himself. Do you see how that works? Your salvation is directly and only the result of God's grace. But an extension of that grace is that he then takes you and me and deploys us, places us in this world to be the heralds of his good news. Recently, I was talking with a pastor a couple years ago, and he, he, he made a statement that I have never forgotten. He said, This you are not a problem, primarily to God. You are a strategy. You, Parkview, you, you are not. Primarily to God, a unique problem that he is scratching his head, looking at, thinking, how do I make use of this mess? That's not how he looks at me. That's not how he primarily looks at you. But rather, you are to him a unique strategy. One whom he designed from long ago with a high degree of intentionality for a very specific purpose. You and I, we are instruments. We are tools that are placed in his hand that he then uses to draw others to himself to make the excellencies of his name known to the world around us. The power Here's what I want you to understand, what is so remarkable about this verse, what's so remarkable about when you hold these two, when you live, when you say to yourself, I'm going to live a life of gospel integrity. My life is going to line up with my teaching. What he tells us here is that you unleash a power into this world. You become full of power. The gospel of Jesus is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. And Luke 24, Jesus promised that his followers would be clothed from, with power from on high. And we see him deliver on that promise in Acts chapter 2. Power comes to you and to me directly from God himself. Every single follower of Jesus. His power in your life is not simply an added ingredient meant to sort of give you an extra boost. A turbo charge in your life. Certainly the early church did not see it that way. They saw it as a miraculous intervention without which they could do nothing. When you hold fast to the truth of the gospel and you allow it to give shape to your life and the the culture of this church, you, Parkview, tap into the very power of God. And you take the beauty of the gospel and you put it on display for the world to see. You possess a tremendous amount of power when you do that. Salvation for yourself and your hearers is at stake. I was St. Augustine who famously said, Without God, we cannot. Without us, God will not. Part three, you are a unique strategy that God has known from long ago, placed in this community to reach people you can only uniquely reach now if you were to visit my office at east campus even to this day because i haven't started packing something i gotta work on (laughs) it's a few things i gotta work on but if you were to visit my office over at east campus right now you would see a picture that is hanging above my desk and it's hung above my desk for years it was a gift by dear friends Um, who no doubt heard me quote Luke 24 numerous times and thought, this is obviously special to this person. So they gave me a gift, a painting. And if you look at that painting, what you'll see is Jesus with two men on the road to Emmaus. If you're familiar with the story, um, after the resurrection, the disciples had discovered that Jesus' was, body was not in the tomb. And as you can imagine, the word of this news, the, the resurrection of Jesus just begins to spread around the area. Just begins to spread. And two of the disciples are, are walking on the road to Emmaus. And as they are walking on the road, uh, talking about what they've heard, Jesus sort of Pulls up next to them, conceals his identity. They don't realize that it's Jesus that they're speaking with that's joined them on their journey. And as he's, he's walking there, he sort of joins their conversation and plays dumb while he does it. What's this you're talking about? Their response Are you the only one in the entire area who has not heard the news? Jesus' response What news? What news? Tell me more. And then in verse 19, listen to what they say. What news? The news concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who is a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people. That's how they describe Jesus. A man who is mighty in word and in deed, before God and all the people. Uh, Luke 24, this section specifically, this verse has long been one of my favorite passages. It, it, like I said, is probably the one that is most quoted in my preaching. One of the reasons why is for me, and my prayer is for you, it gives us a beautiful summary of ultimately what we're aiming for in life. How I believe God wants us to be known. As people, much like his son, who was strong, who was powerful, who was mighty when he opened up his mouth. The teaching that came out blew people away. It was beautiful. It was true. It was sound. It was right. But more than that, he was also mighty indeed. His life the way he lived, the way he loved people who were brought into his path, the way he gave himself freely for those around him. Jesus was a man. His reputation was as a man who was strong in word and in deed. That's how people knew him. Parkview Church... That's how I want to be known. That's how I want this church to be known. As a church, as a people who are mighty indeed. The world around looks at your sacrificial giving, your service, your love, and they're like, oh my goodness. These people talk different. They love different. They live different. When I'm in their presence, there's no question that I matter. And a people who are mighty in word. They believe the truth of the gospel. Their lives are shaped by it. And they persist in these things. That's my prayer for Parkview. And it will be in the days ahead. Let's be a church together. Let's be a people that are mighty in word. And indeed parkview church let the reality of the gospel make a real difference in your life so that you can really impact the world around you let's pray father god we thank you so much for your word this morning for your reminder lord we thank you that out of your great just plan and grace lord that you have decided to not just pull us close to you but Lord, also to send us out for you. Help us to be the type of people who walk in gospel integrity, who live lives of consistency, who are mighty in word and mighty in deed. Let that be so. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.